0: This is the Marketplace Morning Report. I'm David Brancaccio. Now to October 1987, 30 years ago tomorrow. Then, as now, the days were getting shorter and gloomier, and there was free-floating fear about a widening trade deficit, the U.S. buying from abroad so much less than we were exporting, and the dollar falling. Well, let's bring in veteran New York Times business reporter Diana B. Enriquez. Her new book is called A First Class Catastrophe, The Road to Black Monday, The Worst Day in Wall Street History. Thanks for joining us. Happy to
1: be here, David.
0: Yeah, on the subject, though, uh, is, is happy exactly the right word? Mm. Where were you then?
1: You know, actually, I had a small personal uh, catastrophe of my own. My husband was very ill that month of October 87. So I was actually at a hospital bedside thinking, oh, who cares? It's only money. But that made the research into uh, the crash even more exciting because. I was almost doing like original exploration to discover what had gone on while I was otherwise occupied.
0: I was a naive 20-something journalism graduate student, and it all seemed a little remote, what was going on. But let's just contextualize this. I can say a 22.6% drop in the Dow. That's a sort of anodyne way to say it. (laughs) In present terms, that's like the Dow today falling like 5,000 points.
1: In an afternoon. And it was twice as bad as the worst day of 1929, worse than any single day in 2008. And what baffled me is how that epic crash got lost in our financial history. It just became a footnote. I mean, it was the, the meltdown uh, that didn't matter. I mean, it, it was just amazing how quickly we uh, developed amnesia about this crash and, more importantly, about what it could teach us.
0: Well, here's the problem, though. It was sort of like driving home through a terrible snowstorm when you think your life is over, but then you get there safely. If you fast-forwarded some months from this catastrophe, m- these prices had come back.
1: Mm-mm. No, sir. They hadn't come back for two years. All they right, did two not years. Re- <laughs> They did not recover to the August peak for two years. And even more alarming to people, the market continued to make these wild gyrations, up a a ridiculous percent and then pivot with no news at all and then plunging down at the closing bell, it was behaving in ways that we'd begun to see a couple of years before Black Monday, but that people poorly understood Individual investors were really traumatized by what happened in the lead up to Black Monday and in the months afterwards, in January, in March, in May of 88, there were these wild days in the market that people just shook their heads over.
0: Now, we're going to get into perhaps the more important precursors to this. But just give me a sense. What lit the match just before Black Monday itself is, is there a, a theory about this well
1: it's always fun to play 2020 hindsight and go back and pick your favorite cause your favorite relevant uh, event, But correlation isn't causation on yeah. this score, and people could point to uh, di- disappointing trade uh, deficit numbers. They could point to increasing tension in the Persian Gulf uh, incident involving a U.S. carrier there. Um, they could point to a, a tax plan that the Democrats in Congress uh, were proposing that might have affected takeovers. So you choose your corner and you point to your reason But the fundamental reasons were that a selling panic broke out among institutional investors, some of them selling for reasons that had nothing to do with fundamental assessments of the market, of the economy, of the political situation. They were selling because computer-driven strategies told them to sell. And so the 2020 hindsight um, perception of what, caused the crash, looks for a single cause. And that's just a romantic illusion. There was no single cause. It was the culmination of some tectonic changes in the way our markets worked, in the way our markets were being used, in the people who were in our markets. And we had failed to appreciate those changes. We saw some of the symptoms. They were scary. We tried to study them and figure them out and didn't. And then Black Monday just It was like everyone was like on a vast stage thinking they were in one kind of world and then suddenly the scenery all flops down and you realize you're in a landscape you've never seen before.
0: In the book, you point to a key set of players here and it is a situation that was relatively new by the 1980s. This is really big funds that were quite interested in the stock market. Yes.
1: These were um, pension funds. Yes. giant mutual fund index funds Um,
0: university endowments for
1: university endowments absolutely charitable endowments rockefeller fund uh, you know the ford foundation funds for generations these giant investors had stayed in the quiet safe havens of the bond market sometimes in mortgages that was about as sexy as they got were mortgage bonds but then the bond market was in turmoil in the 70s because of galloping interest rates, galloping inflation rates. And they were underwater. These bond portfolios were losing value every day. And beginning around 75, big institutional investors, and I mean giant institutional investors, started to shift assets into the stock market at exponential rates. And that had already begun by 1980. But then in August of 1982, when this incredible, bull market, got on its feet and started to gallop, it was like the Oklahoma land rush. They just moved in in major amounts, pursuing very similar strategies, many of them uh, based on academic theories that allegedly would be reducing their risk. But suddenly, we as a nation were confronted with the fundamental question we should always ask— How good is this strategy if everybody tries to do it at the same time? And that's where we were on Black Monday, everybody trying to get to the exits at the same time.
0: And so you, here in 2017, have very large institutional investors sometimes pursuing similar strategies.
1: You do indeed. In fact, I recently saw that BlackRock, uh, one of the largest asset managers in the country, because of some recent expansion, is just shy of – $6 trillion under management, and much of it devoted to what they call passive investment strategies. Now, there's only a small number of passive investment strategies. So Black Monday was like the crystal ball crash. It showed us where we were going. It showed us the future, and we're living in that future now. And part of that future are giant investors larger than we ever contemplated. And increasingly, pursuing very similar strategies at nanosecond speed. So that element of risk is with us to this day and remains uh, unaddressed and unappreciated.
0: And of course, there was a policy reaction to the horror of that day and the surrounding days. The Brady Task Force, I think it was?
1: The Brady Commission uh, wrote one of the most accessible Uh, financial studies I've ever seen. And there were dozens of studies of the 1987 crash. And this was a Republican-led commission. Nick Brady was the former Republican governor of New Jersey. He went on to be George H.W. Bush's uh, secretary of the treasury, rock-ribbed Wall Street Republican. And he said, we've got this balkanized regulatory system where we've got a lot of people regulating banks, some people regulating stocks, some people regulating bonds nobody regulating derivatives. we've got to fix that. We need a unified regulatory system that was in nineteen eighty seven.
0: so in nineteen eighty seven they're talking about this yeah um, Dana, do we have a um <laughs> unified
1: <laughs> well, it gets worse regulatory system yeah, it gets worse after two thousand and eight. Republicans said exactly the same thing. After 2008, in testimony before Congress, former Republican Secretary of the Treasury John Snow and Republican Chairman of the SEC Chris Cox testified before Congress and said, we have this terribly fragmented, balkanized regulatory system, and it's really dangerous because nobody has a 360-degree view. No one has authority to act wherever a risk breaks out so they can contain it before it spreads. We've got to fix that. No, we didn't do it then either. Um,
0: So now it's the Trump administration. Yes. Uh, Have they noticed fragmentation?
1: Well, they have. In early October, just in time for the 30th anniversary of Black Monday, they produced a report on the U.S. capital markets. And right there, honest to goodness, in the executive summary, it says that one of the significant challenges facing U.S. capital markets right now is that we have this incredible fragmentation in our regulatory system, as they put it, overlapping uh, mandates and jurisdictional friction. Rather than recommend a cure for that, however, rather than say, look, we've got to modernize our regulatory structure, they simply hoped for – Greater harmonization among regulatory agencies that, trust me, as you, if you've read this book, you know, they have squabbled like cats and dogs for decades and it's not going to get any
0: better. They do tend to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> now, OK, 22.6 percent in a day on that fateful day. That can't happen now because we have these electronic circuit breakers.
1: Mm. Well, yes and no. There was a mini crash on October thirteenth, nineteen 1989, and everyone was concerned it was a replay of 87. So that's when they finally got serious about enacting these circuit breakers, which would stop trading after um, you know, metrics had fallen by a certain amount. And what academics studying that discovered was it just sped up the panic. Everyone trying to get out of the market before the circuit breakers kicked in. Yes, we do have circuit breakers today, but we also have – Almost three dozen places where stocks are traded. Back in the day, back, back on Black Monday, you had the NASDAQ market dreadfully hit. You had the American Stock Exchange. You had the New York Stock Exchange. And you had two major futures markets in Chicago. That was it. Those guys could get together around the table, yell, yell at each other for a few hours, which they did, as I describe in my
0: book. But now we have how many dozen? And
1: we have 12 stock exchanges and at least 30 other platforms for trading stocks. So the market has become so fragmented that trying to implement a coherent trading halt across all platforms and not just in the U.S., trading now observes no borders. So – you know, A circuit breaker on a global 24-hour, nanosecond-driven stock market, it's kind of like a handbrake on a bullet train. Yeah, good luck with that.
0: And even if you did solve the technical and regulatory problem and stop this from happening in a day, I mean, in 2008, that fall, share prices lost about 30 percent. Yeah. If you just yes. extend it some weeks.
1: It was slower. And, and even in that – regulators had to intervene and implement uh, a a depression era fix by restricting short sales you know, the uh, the pessimistic selling where guys think they can sell short and profit from a decline in stocks they stepped in in 2008 and prevented that kind of bear market selling in the financial sector stocks stocks because they were being blistered in the market it would have been even worse if they hadn't done that so we we think we have these these tools but what we have, have failed to recognize is we're regulating as if we still have this mom and pop stock market where stocks trade over here and bonds trade over there and derivatives trade over here and mom and pop trading in all of these places That's gone with the wind, David. That is over. That is not coming back. It was gone before Black Monday. And we have to wake up to that because my concern is that every generation that arises without a grasp of what happened in 87 increases the risk that we're going to experience that again.
0: Now I'm not a superstitious guy, but what is it about October, Diana? It just—it's not all the stock market crashes. You can say, well, '87 started in very late September, yeah. but it, there, there's something about this month. I'm sorry. There to There
1: is something about October, and I'm not—I'm not so sure what it would be. Uh, one interesting um, uh, analysis of uh, Black Monday that I came across in all my researchers researching called it The Hunt for Black October. (laughs) Should have thought of that myself. Yeah, I should have too. The title was already taken. um, But I think part of it is um, the post-summer euphoria. You know, in every one of these financial crises uh, where you had an October meltdown, you had, you know, a a summertime of euphoric gains. Um, um, So maybe it's just Fall comes and reminds you that things fall down. I don't know. But 50 years before Black Monday, by the way, on October 19, 1937, there was a terrible crash in the Roosevelt stock market. So it it is a little un- unsettling.
0: All right. Well, brace ourselves till Halloween. Veteran New York Times reporter Diana B. Henriquez, her new book, A First Class Catastrophe, The Road to Black Monday, The Worst Day in Wall Street History. Diana, thank you.
1: Thank you, David.